Hello, all, and welcome to the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kubal. Today, I have me a very special guest, Dylan Brennan. Dylan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Oh, excellent, excellent. Well, I'm glad that we could get you on anytime that I have a future Christopher Polini. Um, you know, it feels good to, you know, talk to them. I'm a teacher, so, um, you know, it feels good to talk to, you know, some younger people about writing. And I always try to get my kids, you know, my students involved in, either, you know, art or writing. So it's really nice to see, you know, that you had this goal in mind, you know, and you just went for it. And, you know, I, I'm jealous because I was about 14 and started writing my stuff. And I don't think I finished until two years ago. So I'm like 34. So you're way ahead of the curve, which is pretty awesome. So I think we're all really anxious to, you know, get to, you know, ask you some questions and hear your answers and, you know, take some insight from it. So we'll uh, go with that first one there, Dylan. What has your writing journey been like up until this point? Well, I mean, yeah, it's been very brief so far, but um, my, I would have probably first gained a true love for writing in probably primary school, which is year three. So I think fourth grade there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, that would, that would have been the point, like my teacher at that point, like really pushed my writing and really wanted, he, he saw that I had like a gift for it and really wanted me to excel in it. And from that point forwards, I just kept trying to like develop it. Uh, and then got into secondary school and it, there's less of a focus on writing in secondary school English, but uh, there is still like one question that allows you to do some creative writing. So I did manage to still practice it. And then when we got to quarantine, uh, because nothing was going on anyway, I, I thought it was the perfect opportunity to start a big writing project. And that led to the birth of Noble Betrayed. Uh, and then got I worked on that one for about two years, got it released in October. And uh, yeah, now we've just been focusing on marketing it. And yeah, that, that, that's my writing journey so far. Yeah, that's it. Awesome. So I'm, I'm just curious um, when you say like, you know, you're, you know, doing some creative writing and things like that at school. Like, so would that still have been in the genre of fantasy? Did you get to choose or were you just kind of writing? So you're just writing school stuff basically at the time. Yeah, it's it's a lot more limited than that. It's just uh, they'll give you either, they'll either give you a topic and you write a story including that topic or they'll give you a picture and you have to write a story about the picture. Oh, that awesome. was it. You don't get you don't get a lot of freedom with what you write. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tend to find that a lot too. Like, um, like where I'm at here in New York State, I just feel like, you know, I, I just talked to a, a teacher about this the other day. They said, well, what do you, what do you really like to do? I said, well, I really like to start an actual like writing course, you know, for students who, you know, want to write their own thing. Um, I feel like too many times, you know, in education, we make you guys do our thing and, you know, ends up, I always worry that I'm going to stifle someone's creativity like yourself. You know, I'm worried that, you know, if I gave somebody an opportunity, um, you know, they would be able to write a book like, you know, like you did Noble Betrayed. Um, so, yeah, I just I was just curious there. But I was actually using you as an example the other day, actually, for why, you know, we should be able to, you know, why we should have the freedom to allow kids to, you know, to choose more of the things they want to write, particularly, you know, in our English classes. We have so many standards here in the United States. It's kind of crazy. And I think it tends to water down the skills of young people like yourself. So, um, yeah, yeah really cool. especially in the UK, the exam is very limiting in mm -hmm. my like actual GCSE exam. The picture that we got was a picture of like a house in Mexico or something. Oh, okay. And it literally, it still had the watermark and everything on the picture. And <laughs> it just said, write a story based on this picture. That was it. Oh, wow. So you just go, I just went around describing the house and things like that. 
yeah. using metaphors and things like that but it's focusing more on showing that you know how to use things than using them in a creative way which is not the way i think that it should be taken yeah yeah that's very interesting well it's, it, to me it's interesting i'm a martial artist so like you know we we learn certain things and then you try to apply them yourself later and you know we try to do that um you know, when it comes to higher education, but it's just kind of interesting. It, it makes me wonder, like, you know, if we would have, if we did things differently, if we have more students like yourself, more young people who, you know, would be able to, you know, to write books a lot sooner or, to, you know, to do these great works of art. I have amazing artists, you know, and yeah, it just, it really makes me feel like we're not doing you guys justice, you know, and maybe also, you know, making you guys kind of, kind of shun writing or reading or, you know, or, you know, some of those things that, you know, you'd be really good at, you know, and I think some people pick them up back again later, once they're done with primary school or, you know, or secondary or something like that. So yeah, kind of, kind of interesting there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, my educator might think of there a little bit more, but that's interesting. Uh, so for that second question, uh, which was one of my favorites to ask people about their products and their, you know, their writing in particular, uh, what is your book Noble Betrayed about and how did you come up with this idea? Um, I guess I'll start with the inspiration. Um, so I think that there, it's really hard to pin down a specific inspiration for sure. what gave birth to it. But um, I was reading a lot of fantasy during mm -hmm. quarantine. So it was like the genre that I would have had in mind. So like, I think I read the entire Song of Ice and Fire series during quarantine. I read The Witcher as well. Uh, I have The Gilded Age. I, I have tons of fantasy and sci-fi, which, um, I mean, obviously I didn't use that genre, but a lot of the concepts and writing style and stuff would have factored in. Yeah. Um, and, and fantasy is always just something that I've loved. Um, I, I love like Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, things like that. And my dad was also watching Game of Thrones at the time, so that cool. I, like I, I wasn't able to escape fantasy, <laughs> more or less. Um, and yeah, um, Noble Betrayed is uh, there are tons of characters, but I'll just try and focus on who I would say is the protagonist. So the protagonist's name is Simon Pajan, and he's the he's a lord, so like he's a noble, and hence the title Noble Betrayed, mm. and. Um, he's quite reserved compared to most nobles he's not really what you would expect from someone in an upper class mm. um but uh he gets called upon by the king who is his old friend this king's name is Eminar Woodgard and um he wants him to be as high all and high all is the second in command sort of so it's really high up and it's not something that he would usually accept but he has to take it for the good of the kingdom so he does mm. But it comes at a really terrible time because his wife, Gwendis, seizes the opportunity to try and get revenge against Simon because he domestically abused her in the past. Mm. And additionally, the council also find out that there is a rumored plot to assassinate the king, which is being conducted by Gwendis's brother, Tyrell, who is also a point of view character. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, everything just gets worse and worse. People die uh and a lot of betrayal happens and yeah um then there are other points of view characters who have completely different stories so for example my favorite to write was uh their son so simon and gwendis's son darren he is deaf he's nine years old as well mm. so writing from his point of view is really interesting because you can't rely on dialogue and you yeah, need to make yeah. sure that you're writing in the mindset of a child yeah and his story involves him finding a 
a child uh, like baby griffin and uh they go on this really mad adventure which uh leads to them uncovering a really like nature changing mystery about the kingdom which almost completely changes the story and makes you look at everything from a different angle without spoiling what it is yeah yeah uh yeah i i focused on the other kids as well like uh their two daughters christine and anit their stories are quite linked they're kind of like sans anaya in game of thrones that kind of oh, dynamic true. but not completely the same but yeah similar uh there's damon pajan uh who is he's a ranger he's in a like desert type area uh doing missions for the king uh, and it involves some tribal chieftains who are based on like Hungarian cultures. Oh, that's awesome. And then there's also Dunton Slate, who is the queen's uh, brother. And uh, he's found out that the queen is having an affair and he hates his sister. So he's just uh, like, um, he- he's just causing mischief around the kingdom. And then there's their sister as well, Sylvina, who is very like attuned to nature, I guess. She mm. has dreams where she sees demons and things like that. And she thinks oh. that uh, they all, they're all linked to what's going on in the kingdom. So she's exploring that as well. So yeah, we're going all over the place, but everything does link together in the end. Well, that's super cool. You definitely see, you know, like the, like the, you know, George R. R. Martin influences for you. Yeah. There. Really cool. But it seems like you, you know, really turn some things on the, you know, on their head. So anytime someone has a Griffin, I absolutely, I'm like, yep, I'm down for that. I absolutely love Griffins. They're, I, everybody always is into dragons. I'm into Griffins. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm bored of dragons. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, dragons are cool, but I've seen them too many times. Yeah, they're, yeah, al- yeah. they're always used as like the big imposing creature. I want to see something yep. else. Yeah, no, totally. And I always, I, I don't know if you've ever, there's, I'll have to try to send you the article. Uh, there's like this one, Oh, there's this one um, author that I was talking to a couple of years ago, and he actually um, wrote this really interesting article. And I'm totally now, I feel so bad. I'm forgetting what the magazine was. I don't even know if they're still around. Um, it was a really big fantasy one about four years ago. I think now they're mostly online. But uh, he wrote The Science of Griffins. And it was so interesting because he basically was like, yeah, this is a physically impossible creature. And when I was writing mine um, for this one rough draft, I just loved that. And I was like, okay, so they're clearly going to be a magical creature because they wouldn't be able to, I kind of took his article and kind of went with it, but it was really interesting. Like he dissected it from a scientific standpoint, but then went back in with the fantasy aspect and it just made the Griffin to me so much cooler. Um, Yeah, it was awesome. And he did the same thing for like, he did like a dragon article, but the Griffin one was way cooler. So ever since then, I've just been like mesmerized by you know griffins and everybody's writing and stuff fiago abdala actually does a really good griffin too if you ever have a second with like a, a touch of light um and he's got book two out now but um yeah he's got he does griffins in a really cool way if you like griffins so yeah but that's yeah really cool. my my one is still a child so it's it's kind of like a baby yoda type that's thing cool. where it's just, it just has like a lot of cute moments and it's oh, just awesome. sidekick but yeah yeah it, it will oh, grow cool. eventually grow together yeah. yeah oh that's cool Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely addicted to that. Uh, so just because you mentioned a lot of your characterization, I'm actually going to switch three and four around here. So That's how fine. do you go about creating characters that your audience will care about? To me, it sounds like you're, oh, to me, it sounds like you already have, you know, a good idea of, you know, who your characters are, 
Um, I already am really interested in several of your characters, particularly the ranger, because and I love the desert setting as well, on uh, doing missions for the king. So to me, I'm like, okay, I really definitely want to find more out, you know, about that character. But you know, also the sisters, you know, how you describe them, I'm like, okay, I want to see what their relationship is like. But how do you go about creating characters that people like myself want to read about? So the, the very first thing that I did when planning this book was the first of all, the actual first thing that I did was writing the prologue, mm. uh, which it, it, it could have worked as a standalone, but I think it works a lot better as uh, a wider story, uh, like the mm. opening. But um, okay. after that, I wrote a sort of yeah. like appendix type thing, just listing all the characters and their relations and stuff like that. I zoned in on ones that right. I think were in a position where they could have an interesting story. And then the first thing that I designed was their flaw. So what is it that makes them flawed? What is it that makes them an interesting character to read about? Because I don't, I'm not a big fan of writing characters that are perfect in any way. Oh yeah. yeah. Unless they're meant to be like gods or something. Mm. Um, yeah. So establishing the flaws and then going into detail about like their backstory, things like that. And then eventually uh, you, you do all the things that people say are like sort of, you need to have this planned out before you write it. And then by the time you're done, you just have this giant sprawling uh, sort of almost like a mind map of details about this one character. And then you just keep doing that. Yeah. I'm right in the middle right now myself. I got these two characters and I was just kind of going to write them. And I was like, oh, they're really flat for a Kindle Bell series. <laughs> and I, that's all I've been doing for like the last like three weeks is, I, you know, and yeah, I like how you said though, like mind map. I guess that's more what I'm doing. People always call it notes, right? I know Brandon Sanson writes like a whole page on somebody as that character before he like starts to write. So it's interesting to for me to ask different authors their different processes. Um, so would you say that? So it's interesting to me that you went with your pro prologue first. So you went with your prologue and kind of. So would you say that you kind of did like a mind map there of just the general story, what was going on, kind of like a general start to the story or was that kind of more like a, a general outline for you or yeah I, I didn't initially plan to write a huge book I just I wrote I wrote the prologue intending for it to be a standalone fantasy story oh wow uh, at, like just like just that like a short story but then I decided that it why do that when I could just do a whole book in this universe because I really like the universe nice so it's just like a really short story that it introduces some really key characters in the story anyway. So it does have significance, but it's just a thing about, it's just a thing about a, a really unimportant side character called Ankerson who gets a mission from his superior to go and poison somebody, but then it backfires and results in his death. That's it. Uh, but it introduces a lot of key characters and the key themes and concepts in the book. So it, it ended up being the sort of uh, the signpost for what was to come. Oh, that's cool. So it sounds to me like, I don't know, like the, like David Eddings, I love David Eddings, but he gives you like Robert Jordan too, I think, give you like this whole book beforehand and you never know quite how it's going to connect with the story, you know? And yeah, I feel like there were a lot of ones I read like when I was your age, like Forgotten Realms and stuff. Like some of them did a really good job. Some of them I'm like, I have no idea. Even after the book ended, I'm like, I have no idea how the prologue, you know, helped set up the book at all. Um, but I like yours because to me, it sounds like, you know, you gave us kind of like a sample or a taste of, you know, your world and your story, you know, ahead of time. So it sounds like you did it in a, in a much smarter way than some of us. <laughs> so that's awesome. 
Uh, well, you got the you did mention one of my favorite words there in universe. So, uh, so we'll go back to that third one there. When it comes to world building for your world or your universe, what were the first steps that you took? Um, so originally it was just meant to be a, a purebred sort of fantasy story. So I was just uh, focusing on assigning the key locations and like the laws that apply to the world. Although the laws are mostly like standard fantasy laws, except uh, there's less of a focus on like magic and mythical creatures and things like that. They do exist, but they're not like mass. They're not like massively populating the world or anything. Mm. They're just there in small doses because I'm more interested in the human side of fantasy than the mystical side generally not not always um and yeah so establishing the key locations the laws and then i decided upon the twist that i alluded to with day run and that completely changed everything so i realized that i needed a way to be able to link this twist to what i already had so it was about devising that and then in the process i also ended up devising a whole pantheon of gods and things like that and what one thing that uh, does apply to my story is every house has their own religion. And, oh, cool. but the reality is that they're all actually constructs and none of them are actually real. They're just, oh, wow. they're like, they're constructs designed by the council to keep people believing in something. Wow. You were really, themselves. really meta there. You were really meta society just to, yeah, that's <laughs> really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, so it, it was just like small details. Eventually, I'd be writing a chapter and I realized I needed something else. So I added another small detail and then made sure that that worked with everything that I had already written, like things like uh, like medicines and like herbs and things like that. And it, yeah, it ended up just evolving into this giant world. The great, it, It's just called the Great Kingdom. It doesn't have a name and there is a reason why it doesn't have a name. But again, I won't go into that. That's cool. Sorry, you just blew my mind with the like the socioeconomic standpoint of having basically like religions that each house has where they're constructed. That that to me is is like as a social studies teacher, that's a really cool concept. I feel like we talk about that a lot. Um, you know, it comes to you know world religions and not necessarily the religion itself, but you know the power struggle with those that are in charge of the religion or you know or whatever. Um, so that to me is really cool in a fantasy setting. So. I think you brought up some interesting socioeconomic or sociological points there, which to me, I don't know. I, I that, that just seems really cool to me. Um, I like how you also said though, because I think this is a big question that a lot of people, a lot of fantasy authors have to ask themselves. And I've been asking myself this for my, I got this Kindle Bella series. It's called Twin Flames. Uh, I really just like grim, dark fantasy. I love Conan, the Barbarian, um, Fritz Libner, um, with uh, Farhad and Gray Mauser. Um, Paul S. Kemp does a great job with Hammer and the Blade, like capturing the buddy cop aspect of like a fantasy setting. Uh, so I was like, oh, I want to do that. But I keep asking myself, I'm like, like you, I'm like, well, do I want to focus on the humans or do I, you know, how much magic is there going to be? You know, how many magical creatures are there going to be? Is it, you know, they're going to be overrun, you know, with them or are they going to be kind of dying out sort of thing? Um, so I think that's an interesting question, you know, that you asked yourself. So I like how you said you went with, you know, um, I would say more like, right, like, a you know, George R. R. Martin, you know, he's got magic and, you know, there are dragons, but right, he's not, they're not exactly being overrun, right, with magical items or things like that. But how did, how did you, was that like a really big question that you asked yourself before you got started then? Or was that something that you developed over time where you're like, okay, I'm going to have a griffin, but you know, maybe they're going to be rarer, you know, things like that. 
Uh, yeah, I, I did initially want it to be high fantasy, but when I devised okay. the twist that I keep mentioning, <laughs> because, but because it's just it just completely changes everything, so I, I'm trying to push it. But um, when I devised that twist, I realized that, no, I want it to be low fantasy because that's the way the twist comes across in the best way. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. So, so that, that was what answered the question for me. It wasn't actually as complex for me as it might be for a lot of other authors. Yeah, that's interesting. Would you say that later on, like maybe, you know, once you've written a little bit more in, you know, in this universe, uh, would you say that you would maybe try to, you know, write a high fantasy later on? I mean, was that something that maybe you'd be interested in or? Yeah, maybe. I, I'm planning on exploring other genres as well, which I'll get into that later when we talk about like horror oh, projects oh, and cool. things like that. But um, yeah, I, I will go back to fantasy at some point when Noble is done, which I don't know when Noble will be done, but probably within the next 10 years, definitely. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. It's just that it's always interesting to me because like it's funny because like I feel like people lately, the authors I've talked to, a lot, I've talked to a lot of authors in a day, let alone, you know, the last two years and um it's just interesting because I tend to find people in multiple camps in just two camps instead of multiple camps me like depending on you know the world I'm in the characters you know I will work with the different amounts of magic or different you know amounts of magical creatures whatever I say my Kindle Bella series has less magic and less you know mythological creatures or magical creatures but my own fantasy stuff from my novels has more so but it's funny because I find people like they either like uh, only write stuff in low fantasy or they only write stuff in high fantasy and it's funny where you know or maybe they're in between but like you know it's like they tend to stick in their lane a little bit so to me it's always interesting to find somebody like myself who's like yeah I would write low fantasy here because of this story and these characters and I might write high fantasy here because of you know this um, interesting story or concept I have so I always think it's interesting to ask people uh, so this is my next question, which I'm really excited to hear your answer for. How many books do you plan in this fantasy world that you've created? Probably three, but oh. then that's just three main entries. There is one book that I've got more or less planned out, which is going to be a sort of spin-off focusing on one group of characters that I'm going to introduce in the second book. Oh, that's awesome. Because, because their story is really important to understanding what goes on in the third book, but I think it would take up too much space in the, th in the third book, so I want to write it separately. That's so tech, so it's more like 3.5 i guess yeah yeah that's smart i like how you said that you're gonna uh, to me that's a smart marketing from a marketing standpoint to me i think that's really smart because if you get people that like your first book and especially get into your second book which um most authors think when i did the statistics recently i was looking at amazon statistics i think it's around like it's gotta be like 67 to about 72 percent of authors do better with their second book uh, I have with my friend Christopher G. Brenning. Um, he had his first book, um, you know, and people were like, oh, okay, what is this? But then once people started trying it, you know, once, you know, after a year and a half, it's out, book two comes out, bam, all of a sudden people are like, oh, hey. And that's what he decided to do as well um, with a novella with some different characters. And I think he's, you know, been talking about doing that. But I have seen that work uh, for people like him and a couple of my other friends recently, in particular, with spinning off the second book characters. Um, that's, that, I haven't seen too many statistics on, you know, the sales that happened after, but I just know from, you know, the amount of people that I see online, you know, sharing this, you know, like, let's say you did that and, you know, you have your second book in this trilogy, finish your third book and then do the spinoff. Um, the amount of people I've seen with that fourth book or that new spinoff book, I mean, I've seen a lot of them plastered everywhere. So I assume that their sales, you know, 
have to be doing pretty well because they're not arc readers or anything or reviewers. It's, you know, actual customers. So to me, that seems really smart. Um, it'll be interesting for, I think, all of us to kind of see, you know, how that works out for you marketing wise. But personally, I've seen it work really well for some of my author friends. So I hope that it does the same for you. But to me, that as a reader, I'm like really interested because I think a lot of times, you know, you get those secondary characters, particularly Game of Thrones. And um, I'm reading Steven Erickson right now, Mal's in Book of the Fallen. And sometimes it's like, I'm like, I want a book about these characters, you know, and they never talk about them again. So I think that happens with a lot of people, particularly uh, for me in a trilogy, it happens in book two. So I think personally, that's a very, very smart thing that you're doing. So I'd be very interested. I do, I, I do think that that's one thing that I can know what the education system does with English. In terms of the literature side, they do encourage you to explore every single character's perspective, like even like the minor character's perspectives. And because of that, that's why perspective is something that I'm really interested in. And that's why I want to write that spinoff book in the first place. Okay. Hmm. I think you just answered a question why a lot of my author friends are from your region of the world. <laughs> because, you know, it's very, I want to, I, when you bring up an interesting character, or they have an interesting backstory or something like, I think, I haven't read Joe Ambercrombie yet. I know, I know I'm horrible. I have a bunch of them behind me. Um, but, you know, I, I have a friend who he really likes a lot of his characters, but at times he'll bring up an interesting character and then that character dies like, you know, two sentences or a paragraph later. Uh, and my friend's like, oh, I wish he explored that person a little bit more. So, yeah, that's really cool. But a lot of my friends, uh, particularly from the UK, really seem to do, a, you know, a really good job of that, um, you know, and exploring those different characters. And I think that's why a lot of times I find, you know, the their writing a lot more interesting. I can seem to connect with it a lot more. So. That's interesting though. I didn't realize it was from your guys's like, uh, you know, education system. So that's actually, that actually really makes me think a little bit more about um, how I teach writing in the future. So I think that makes a lot more sense. That's really cool. Uh, also, so also death, it, oh yeah, sorry. Um, also de death doesn't have to necessarily be the end of a character's development. You can still reveal stuff about them later after their death that um, reveals like a tons more layers of their character. Like I, I just recently watched uh, this this show called Dark. It's a time travel show on Netflix, and uh, a lot of the characters do die. They show their death really early on, but because it's time travel oriented, you end up seeing them when they're younger and learning more mm -hmm. about their backstory and things like that. And then there's a character that dies died at the end of season two, I think, but then in season three they showed what he was like as a child and everything, and suddenly one of the like most evil characters in the entire in the entire show ends up becoming one of the most sympathetic even hmm. though he's already dead you're still able to sympathize with them well that's cool hmm. i guess i yeah i never really that's a really good point i actually never really thought about that so would you say hmm that's a really good point i was thinking like maybe trying to think of different ways to do that without time travel as well maybe through like different other different characters uh like it could be it could be them. yeah it could be anything it's like like um point. great great gatsby when he dies they put That's in a, a chapter point. with his dad uh yeah. it can be like revealing new characters that give you new perspectives on them like diary entries things like that anything yeah hmm. yeah it's a really good point i have to write that one down in my journal i always <laughs> take notes after these so i'm gonna have to really think about that that to me seems like a really interesting like you said you know you have one character that you're just like you know find really interesting to write you know his perspective um you know particularly you know with having certain needs and 
you know, not being able to do the dialogue. So I think that also is really interesting. So writing somebody, maybe the challenge would be writing a really interesting character, you know, give you a, you know, a little bit, like you said, with dark and then, you know, have them be, you know, more of a major character later on, you know, and they're not even there. So I think that is uh, really, I think that's um, a really good point though. Like, um, uh, particularly with like the book and the TV show, 13 Reasons Why, I think, you know, like that character, you know, the main character, um, you know, I, I just couldn't believe how much they did that with her character. I thought. That, yeah, Hannah. Yeah. Yeah, Hannah. Thank you. I was trying to think of her name. Yeah, like, I mean, I've never, yeah, I was like, I never had considered doing that from a writer's standpoint. So I think you make a really good point with that. I think that's a really good example. Everybody keeps mentioning Dark. I'm going to have to watch Dark now. It's amazing. Third, third it's author. Amazing. Yeah, like three, <laughs> three interviews in a row where people mention Dark. So um, I have to tell my friend Michael that you suggested it too. And I'll have to check it out tonight when my son hopefully is sleeping. But uh, for that sixth one, what has been your greatest struggle when it comes to your writing? And maybe trying to get your book out there. And then what has also been your greatest accomplishment? Okay, when it comes to writing, I think the biggest struggle is like the filler from A to B. Like, you know, when you have like a starting point with a chapter and you know <laughs> what the ending is going to be. I'm, I'm having that right now with the book I'm writing at the moment where I knew I knew that this chapter could is has an absolutely amazing ending and it's going to really like resonate with people. But it's about filling stuff in before you get to that point because you just can't cut straight to it. Yeah, yeah. You need to make people care more about that character before you can do stuff yeah that makes people really resonate with them you can't just throw it in but writing that filler you need to really think about it and how you actually do the development without making it feel like it drags on which then lessens their enjoyment of the chapter yeah no totally I think um I have one character in my fantasy book of Thief's Ambition it's like I'm, I just tell people I'm like if you can just get to the end of this like the three you know the climactic part I'm like you're gonna hate this character but if you can get to the climactic part um, I see like um, Johnny Lawrence in the Cobra Kai series or maybe, <laughs> you know, some of them. I just I got really into the redemption arcs. I was never into them. And then that show really made me love redemption arcs. So I was like, OK, I want that to be like a main theme. So I changed a lot of things and I'm like, OK, you're going to absolutely hate her. But then later on, you know, and I give you some reasons why I think you, you would really, in, you know, understand her position, maybe not agree, but you understand her position. Uh, she's trying to do the right thing, but just in the wrong way. And I think a lot of us, you know, could, could, you know, really connect with that. But I think that was a big thing I kept thinking about. I'm like, Ooh, like, is, I kept thinking like, is this just filler, you know, or like, how do I get people to care about her, this situation or, and I think one of the hardest things, I don't know about you, but like trying to even like a villain, right? Like um, I was thinking of like Dr. Octopus from the original Spider-Man to, um, you know, where, I felt like um, Sam Raimi did a great job making that character relatable. You know, he's a villain, but at the same time, you know, you were able to understand, um, you know, why he was a villain um, and, you know, why he was doing the things that he was doing. But I always think it's hard to, you know, get an audience to follow along with that and to try and understand those people, even if they're, you know, the most evil character, <laughs> you know, or something like that. Um, but just trying to at least see like, oh, what did they do next? Like Darth Vader, right? Like, who is he going to choke out next? Or who is he going to have a cool lightsaber fight with? So I think that you're right. The filler is always, to me, is always, I think, the hardest part. Because we all know where we want to go, right? For the most part, end of the book or a chapter. But yeah, that in-between part, I think you're totally right there. What would you say your uh, greatest accomplishment was? Um, well, I mean, it would be getting the book released. But I mean, in terms of like 
since then i did get to speak at a literary festival and i I gave a whole like probably like five minute speech about like empowering young people and writing and things like that and everyone was clapping and things like that people were coming up to me telling me my speech was amazing and things like that Uh, yeah so that would be that would be up there yeah that's really cool well i mean i think you're one of you know of maybe five you know authors you know under a certain age that i could name within the fantasy genre you know and i think that is in itself you know a really great accomplishment i mean you know like we always say it for martial arts like the like 99 percent of people quit before they're a black belt and then i got my second degree black belt i've done a lot of other martial arts after that i'm working on my third degree for taekwondo so as i keep going it's like you know the percentages get smaller of people that are you know like me and I think of that for authors all the time. I mean, you know, you think like if you wrote one book, you know, like you did, you're already in a very small percentage. We have a lot of books out there, but, you know, compared to how many people wanted to write a book, I think it's, you know, it's got to be way less than 1%. Um, you know, so, you know, if you're writing book two already, I think personally, you know, you're already, again, you're shrinking that percentage of people, you know, that you're like, particularly with your, you know, age category. So for me, that's, that's really cool. So I think that, you know, that's all just an absolutely great accomplishment. So that's really cool. Uh, you mentioned books earlier, some of them, but what games or books do you think have influenced your writing the most? Um, I'll try to touch more on games uh, because I've already mentioned the books that inspired me the most. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I play a lot of games. Uh, I think I played The Witcher 3 around that time, which is like, yeah, th- that game is amazing. Yeah. And that definitely would have inspired me somewhat. Uh, maybe like Red Dead Redemption oh, right. 2, probably God of War, things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah I, I like a lot of like single player story games and things like that. Yeah, so too. they've all they've all inspired me at least a little bit. Hey, now, one question I have just because we're obviously there's a little, uh, little bit of an age gap between us here. Have you tried playing Diablo 2 Remastered yet? No, but I do want to. It, it So for me... Diablo 2, particularly the expansion pack, like I played a lot. I had, I, I was just talking to my buddy about this today. I'm like, we, him and I, he's like four years uh, older than me. So I'm 36. And it was just funny because like we were just talking about games that influenced our writing. And um, I was like, Diablo 2 for me was just like absolutely amazing. I mean, the I had never really been into like Grimdark before that or anything like that. I was more just into like Forgotten Realms, Baldur's Gate and stuff um but yeah Diablo 2 for me is still like my favorite game of all time and when they decide they're good, like Diablo 3 wasn't any good I don't think I'm pretty excited for Diablo 4 but yeah like the 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 quest you go on just from a writer standpoint I think um Oblivion um like Morrowind and Oblivion and Diablo 2 from a writer standpoint had some of the coolest quests um that I've ever been on or things I did you know as like a in a in a video game and um, the overall, I think, story arcs were just absolutely amazing from a writer's standpoint. So, yeah, I'd highly recommend that one. Um, there's a I lot think, of cool things to go do. Yeah, in terms of, like, games with, like, really good quests, the Mass Effect trilogy, that's another one for me. That's a great one. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ghost of Tsushima, I think, was the game that I played. Oh. It was, like, the first one that I played that got me into, like, a huge, like, sort of, like, massive, like, grind of different games. Oh, that's awesome. And... And then at the moment I'm playing Elden Ring, so that's probably oh, going to influence me at some point as well. <laughs> I promised myself I would not play that until my urban fantasy novellas are done. And about <laughs> like, I would say like almost like two thirds the way for the three, but I was like, I'm not doing it until I'm 
that's going to be like my crowning achievement is buying that for myself at the end of the summer. Um, yeah, it's like my, my author prize to myself, but I feel like I'll just get too addicted to it. Like I'll either just be like with my son and then playing that. I feel like no writing is going to get done uh, for myself at least. But yeah, that's super cool. Uh, Ghost of Toshima, I totally forgot about that one. I played that one a little bit with a friend and that's one I keep needing to, to buy for myself. But yeah, that's super cool. I, I love games. I think games are just a really good way, you know, because you get to see other people's writing and Dragon Age, uh, especially the original one, I think was a really good one. Uh, that one to me really got me in college, like back into writing. It was really, really good and really fun. But all right. So my second favorite question here, do you have any news updates, promos or current projects that you can share with us? Yeah. So uh, I've got two like drafts at the moment so one of them is the sequel to noble betrayed which okay. is noble divided and i've written about maybe like 100 pages of that oh wow! it's all it, it's all planned out at this point but i just haven't actually writ written it out um but then the book that i'm going to be releasing next i know it's a really big sort of stray but i'm writing a book called master misfortune which is it's going to be a sort of romantic tragedy, I guess, but not like overly romantic or anything. It's more on the tragedy side. Um, it revolves around a character called Leon Fox, uh, who is extremely obsessed with being like his favorite fictional characters. And that leeches into his uh, like ways with how he like behaves around women and things like that. And it ends up causing the downfall of both him and a lot of other characters in the story. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, yeah, the, the message is that people should be careful about how uh, devoted they get to being like people from fiction. Oh, that's cool. That's a really cool theme. I like that. It's probably one I should think about because I'm just really into, um, I'm watching an old show called Walker, Texas Ranger with Chuck Norris and I grew up on it and it's fun for me now to, it's just, I like free on one of our stations here. It's fun to rock my son and we kind of been like watching it together, so to speak. But yeah, it's funny cause I have been dissecting different characters from the nineties and he just happened to be one of them. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned that cause there was uh, a show, uh, a movie a while back where there was a, a character that did that. And that was like that character's, that was the character's flaw was that he saw himself as this, you know, like 80s character from like a sci-fi movie and he thought he was him totally i think the guy from dodgeball too um uh the redhead i forget he like acts like a pirate right so i definitely think that uh you're onto something there because i don't think a lot of people have they've always explored those characters and the theme as a secondary character or a theme that's you know very counterproductive or counterintuitive i think to the actual story so i think you really focusing on that to me sounds like a really great idea and i, I don't think too many people have explored that in at least my opinion really since like um maybe like walter mitty um which i absolutely loved um that character um but yeah it's i think that was written in like 1949 or something like that so i think that's a really cool uh concept for you to explore so be interested to see that i like the see too that you're you know um trying some different things out too you know and i think that'll help you know your overall writing you know in particular so that's really cool yeah, I put I put Noble 2 on hiatus so that I could finish Master Misfortune because I wanted to make sure that people realized that fancy wasn't the only thing I was interested in doing. Smart. And Smart. so, yeah, Master Misfortune is a lot shorter because it's not like a, it's probably going to be standalone because it ends with tragedy. Mm, yeah. uh, 
so yeah i just wanted to push that one out to make sure that people know that fantasy isn't the only thing i'm interested in exploring and then i'll go like full in on noble until it's done yeah yeah, yeah. wow that's really cool i think that's really smart for for just an experience perspective but also from a marketing perspective for you so um yeah i think i think that's smart that's why i'm doing like urban fantasy i love reading urban fantasy um fantasy is like i think it's easier for me to write um i also kind of been doing the thing with a sci-fi so i totally feel you there i I, I always get afraid of getting put into one box, you know, and then not be able to, you know, expand readership or maybe even, you know, not expand, you know, my actual writing skills. So I think that's really smart that you're already thinking about, you know, that just from a, you know, a writing perspective, but also from an advertising perspective. So very smart on your part. Well, Dylan, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. I'm really glad that we could get you on, um, you know. I'm really anxious, you know, to read your book and to check out your twist in particular. As soon as you said Griffin, I'm like, all right. It was already on my list, but I'm like, okay, it moved up there. And then you said Ranger, which has got to be, besides Paladin, my second favorite word to hear uh, within fantasy. Desert setting is always a one. I don't know why I'm addicted to desert setting because I hate the sand, but I love, you know, Rangers in a desert setting. Um, but yeah, I'm really anxious to, you know, to read your book. Um, if there's anything, you know, we can do in the meantime, you know, to help you out. Um, you know, to spread the word. Um, like I said, there's the Facebook group. Um, you can always go in there and post. Um, I'll send that to you guys. Um, but if there's anything else we can do at all, just let me know. I'll be sending, you know, you guys an email uh, along shortly, next couple of months, um, so we can get our stuff going over the summer. And before this interview comes out, you know, we'll plaster the schedule on, you know, your book everywhere. Um, but yeah, if there's anything else we can do in the meantime, you know, just let me know and we'll help you out as best we can. So. Okay. Uh, oh, for our audience, just as a reminder, you can find uh, Dylan's book and um, his socials in the description. Um, that's for all of our authors. So just don't forget, that's why we're here. Uh, so please make sure you go and click on the link and make sure you're clicking and checking out his book, Noble Betrayed. And we're also just reminding people, please, 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 um, authors like Dylan and myself and anybody we've had on here, we really thrive on reviews. So please make sure any product that you know you are buying and reading, please make sure you're reviewing it because that's like helping out twice as much uh, for all of us, uh, including authors like Brennan. So, or Dylan, sorry. So Dylan, thank you so much. I hope you guys have a great rest of the day. And like I said, if there's anything else we can do for my friend, you just let me know and we'll help you out as best we can. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, anytime. Uh, like I said, I'll be sending some seminar stuff. So if you know, you guys think, you know, that like those would be some of the ones you'd be interested in, um, the world building ones, I want to have like three different ones. So if there's something like that, or, you know, one of the characterization ones, you know, and you want to try to join that, um, you know, feel free and, you know, we'll send you a link and get you situated. So. Okay. Cool. All right, Dylan, you have a great rest of the day. We'll see you later, my friend. Bye. Bye.